Hey everyone, welcome to MCU Fan Show episode 235. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by Paul Herman for our spoiler review of Hawkeye episode four, Partners, am I right? A Kevin Feige production directed by Burton Birdie, written by Aaron Cancino and Heather Quinn. This series has been created for television by Jonathan Igla. Before we start the spoiler review, want to let you know once again about Fan Show Plus. That is a podcast that is exclusive to premium subscribers at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or on Apple Podcasts if you search for the MCU Fan Show channel or Fan Show Plus on Apple Podcasts, you can find it there. That's where we talk about additional MCU news and even bring spoiler reviews of non-MCU series like the and films like the upcoming Book of Boba Fett series on Disney+. Plus. That, of course, is coming up very, very soon, right after we finish up with Hawkeye. So make sure you check out Fan Show Plus and then continue to follow us in all those places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Twitter and Instagram. And if you are enjoying the show, we would greatly appreciate a rating and review from you over on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much to everyone who's already taken the time to leave their review. Now, on with our show. How you doing, Paul Herman? Man, this is going to be an insane week. I uh, it, I feel like it's literally the calm before the gigantic hurricanes, storms we're going to be getting. At, Took the words know, right after, out of I my mouth. The, yep. Yeah, yeah. Wednesday. I think it's going to happen with Wednesday, the next episode probably, uh, with Hawkeye, I, I'm assuming. And then it's just going to get more insane from here. So buckle up, Marvel fans, because I think it's going to be pretty nutty than this, from here on out. That's kind of how I feel. I'm almost intimidated by this upcoming week. Yeah. It feels nice to just talk about this little episode of Hawkeye, and I know it has an appearance of a character that we met earlier this year, and we will talk about that, of course, over the over the course of this spoiler review, naturally. But looking ahead, not something we like to do, but, uh, well, of course we do. We like to do it, but we don't do as much of it in the spoiler reviews, But because uh, we have this entire episode right in front of us that we're excited to talk about. But... At the same time, can't ignore the week that is in front of us. And we've had this experience earlier this year where we have a new episode of a Marvel Studios Disney Plus series and we get a new Marvel Studios movie in the same week. And this is an instance that feels even bigger than the ones that we have previously had because there's been a lot of speculation about who might show up in this week's episode of Hawkeye. And so much speculation about so many other characters who might be popping up in Spider-Man No Way Home. And some of them, we don't have to speculate. It's been confirmed in trailers. We've seen them. We know that they're there. And then other ones who might show up in Spider-Man No Way Home. There's just a lot going on. Oh, and then also, we really like Hawkeye, so we're excited about getting a new episode of that. And we're big Spider-Man fans here, so of course we're just excited about a new chapter, a new cinematic chapter in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. All of those things are exciting enough but it certainly feels like bigger than the usual because it's always a big deal that it's the MCU, but this feels like it's on another level that we've seen in some of the larger MCU movies. And Spider-Man No Way Home certainly has a lot of things that it can do, that it can show us, that it can reveal to us, but then also setting the course for other things in the MCU. So it won't just be about looking at that story although we will spend a lot of time looking at and breaking down that, sto that story. The spoiler review is coming up next week, but then also it's going to quite naturally point us in the direction of other things in the future. And all of that is coming our way 
And I know next weekend, it's going to be a scheduling challenge because I want to see the movie a bunch of times and we've got to record mm-hmm. a couple of podcasts, a Hawkeye spoiler review, Spider-Man No Way Ooh. Home spoiler review. It's a lot going on. It's a wonderful set of scheduling problems to have, but problems nonetheless, because scheduling can be tough, because I know you and I each really want to see Spider-Man No Way Home at least a few times before we sit down and do that spoiler review. Yeah, I've I've got... um, And it doesn't help that it's two and a half hours. Oh, yeah, I keep keep forgetting that. So, I've you know, Clow and I are going on Thursday. Right after I get off work, I'm zooming up there. And then on Saturday, I've got my ticket and I'm contemplating. I have Friday off from work. I'm contemplating going on Friday as well. But I'm like, mm, wife might hate me if I do that. So I'm not sure what I'm doing yet. But I'm at least going to see it twice. I'm probably going to try to squeeze in a third because I think I'm just going to be reeling on Thursday, to be honest. I For so many Star Wars films I've done, I've, I'll see it on Thursday. And I'm always like, well, I'll see it again on Saturday. And I end up seeing it on, on Friday anyway. And with No Way Home, it definitely feels like it's the impact of that film is going to be so crazy that I'm probably going to want to see it again on Friday immediately because I'm going to need to absorb everything. So yeah, I'm I it, it's going to be crazy to get that in there, and then we're going to have so man, we're going to be podcasting for like ten hours on Sunday, basically. That's what I feel like we're going to be doing. There's a, a pretty good chance that that figure will ultimately be accurate. I'm, I'm not really <laughs> sure. We'll see where it ends up, but yeah. It's going to be a lot. And I'm also trying to figure out, as far as scheduling goes, not just the recording, but I still don't know exactly when I'm going to see Spider-Man No Way Home. I have tickets to a lot of showings on Thursday Ah. night, Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday. My goal is to attend at least three of those showings, but which ones I'm going to make it to, I don't know. Thursday and Friday are, are kind of dicey for me just because of my work schedule right now. I'm working on a show, it's filming, and so when those days are happening, it's kind of hard for me to just be like, hey guys, I gotta go, I wanna go see Spider-Man. So uh, it's gonna be tough to figure out exactly when I'm going to be able to see it. It just kind of depends how things go for the rest of this week. But if I don't get a chance to see it on Thursday or Friday, you had better believe that uh, I'll be deleting pretty much every social media app, and uh, I'll Mm -hmm. definitely have to unfollow Florence Pugh, more on that. But I will have to delete every app to try my best to not get spoiled because it will be very, very difficult. I'm super nervous. Like the, I know the press screening is, I think it's Monday is when a lot of people are seeing it. I also can't make that. So I'm not seeing it on Monday. I don't know when I'm going to see it, but I'm going to have to really put the blinders on for Spider-Man No Way Home to just try and make it to whenever my first showing is. I think I'll see it Friday night at the latest, even if it's like a 10.30 or 11 o'clock showing. I'll be very, very tired, but hopefully the movie will be exciting enough to keep me awake. But Mm. regardless of when I see it, I'm going to see it multiple times, and we will get a spoiler review recorded for you for Spider-Man No Way Home. But this is a spoiler review for Hawkeye Episode 4, partners, am I right? And I do want to start with what I just alluded to, the controversy this week. I don't know if you were aware of this, Paul, but... I was not. But Florence Pugh spoiled the show for people. She spoiled her appearance in the episode maybe, I don't know, nine or 12 hours, something like that, after it dropped, because, of course, it drops (laughs) midnight Pacific time or 3 a.m. Eastern time. So depending on where you're at, but wherever you're at, unless maybe you're in Hawaii, it's a little more manageable... But for a lot of folks, they're not able to see it right away. A lot of people have to wait until Wednesday. And that was the position I was in. So it's, it's not just about me. I wasn't the only one. But I was waiting to watch the show on Wednesday night. 
And I did a pretty good job of dodging the spoilers. And then I made the mistake of just opening up Instagram. And I, of course, follow Florence Pugh as I follow a lot of MCU actors on Instagram. And the feed refreshed. And right there at the top of my feed on Instagram was Florence Pugh's post that revealed her appearance in it. And I was just thinking in my head, like, come on, really? We can't even get a day to watch the episode I don't know. And I know she got upset, I saw, because somebody complained about it and tried to get her post blocked. I don't know what that's about. Oh. That was definitely an overreaction. But at the same time, I think Florence Pugh should be able to understand why at least some people were mildly annoyed that she spoiled her appearance in the show. After all, this was a thing she wasn't allowed to talk about until it dropped on Disney+. Plus. Also, the scene features her character wearing a mask for most of the time, so obviously the identity reveal is supposed to be a surprise. It's supposed to be a big deal. You might want to think about giving your audience a day to watch the new episode before you spoil your own appearance. I, of course, already knew, as we did, if, we, if you saw the post credit scene for Black Widow and you followed along with some of the reports of who was going to be in this series. It was a known thing that Florence Pugh was going to be back as Yelena in this series at some point. So it's not necessarily a huge spoiler that she was going to be there, but it was still going to be a surprise as to exactly when we would see her, when we would get that reveal. So I wish that had been saved, but uh, regardless, it was cool when she showed up. Yeah, I, I did not know that there was a controversy with all this. And I, I honestly forgot that she was even going to be in the show until I think it, you reminded me on, on one of our shows or whatever we did. Because I forgot about the post-credit scene at Black Widow. I just kind of forgot about it. I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot. Like, you know, Val came down and gave a picture of Hawkeye. I was oh, yeah. So it was definitely – I knew it was coming. And then it was kind of – I honestly kind of forgot about it. That's one thing I, about spoilers that I, I've kind of discovered, at least for myself. And I can't speak for everybody else, obviously. But if I do see something by accident – Either it's like a you know a tweet saying something. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, what I'll do is, is I I can't forget it. But what I'll at least what I'll try to do is just like no, don't make a big deal of it. Just right. kind of like just don't go crazy. Just go. Uh, I don't know what I saw right there. And just if you just don't play it off like a big deal and just try to focus on something else right away. I always yep. feel that helps because I forget about most of that stuff and I forgot about this. And I did see like the mass character on like YouTube channels that I be you know follow whatever. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, the identity of this. And I just kind of forgot that she was coming in the show. And then I'm watching. I went, oh, it's Black Widow. Sweet. Okay. Not I knew that before she revealed herself, but it was cool. I'm like, oh yeah, that's who it is. That's sweet. So I don't know. It, it was kind of a mixed bag for me as far as spoiling goes. But if you don't make a big deal of things you see, just kind of for, try to get it out of your mind. A lot of times it works. Not everything, obviously, but it works for me for the most part anyway. I do my best to try and act like it's still a question in my head. Like, was that real or that's just rumor? And I dismiss it the same way I would something that's a rumor from a site that I'm not familiar with that doesn't have any established track record of credibility. I try to immediately put it in that category and also consume as much other information as I can in the next five minutes to really try and forget. And the older Mm -hmm. I get, the more help my body naturally gives me. (laughs) at not having the short-term memory to lock these things in. So I think I'm, I'm getting better at not being spoiled and being able to quickly forget about them as, uh, as I learn yeah. about them as well. But that didn't happen with this one because it was Florence Pugh herself sharing images yeah. of herself in the episode. So it was kind of hard for me to look at that and be like, well, maybe that's not true. No, it's from 
the person playing the part. Like, obviously, that's who it is. So it was a little disappointing. I don't think it needed to be a controversy. A little bit of a faux pas on Florence Pugh's part, but not a super huge deal. So nobody needed to be really all that mad at her, and she didn't need to be mad at anybody else. Just, you know, a, a little bit of an oops on the spoiler on the spoiler etiquette. But then who cares? Mm -hmm. uh, in the end, we got a great episode of Hawkeye. So let's talk about it. And I know I skipped to the end with the stuff with Florence Pugh, but now let's go through okay. scene by scene in another mm. outstanding episode of Hawkeye, picking up where we left off right away with Jack Duquesne having the Ronin sword at the throat of Clint Barton. And then Eleanor and Kate Bishop burst into the scene with Eleanor wondering why there's an Avenger in her dining room. And that triggers recognition for Jack, not swordsman recognizing trainee, former trainee Clint Barton. There is no relationship between these two. But when Jack does recognize him, you're Archer. That was great. So Tony Dalton just continuing to win as Jack Duquesne. Uh, Kate says that they're just making a pit stop to use the restroom while they're working on a case together. And then they sit down and explain the nature of their partnership slash friendship as Kate sees it. And Clint tries to downplay that. But Kate has her... Sense of familiarity, a nickname for Clint Barton, CB1. I, I really appreciated. And uh, Kate is also pointing out how she likes to play it cool. She's not like, oh my God, Hawkeye. Um, and uh, another winning line from Jack Duquesne when he's talking to Clint saying, by the way, thank you for saving the world. Oh, God. So good. We'll get to <laughs> Eleanor's speech to Clint as she was walking him out, but. Just that initial introduction of everything and kind of level setting of here's where things stand between Kate and Clint and then also looping in Eleanor and Jack. Everything about that was just uh, was so was so well done. And Jack Duquesne, lovely, lovely man. You know, I as someone and I'm not like this giant Hawkeye fan or again, there has to be everything like the comic books. And this Hawkeye is obviously much, much, much different than the 616 universe. And I've done, I've gone on record very much saying I'm not always a fan of that or those differences. Uh, with Swordsman, I wasn't shocked. I was hoping that'd be kind of fun that they recognized each other. But when I love how at first things, you know, he does not recognize him. And mm -hmm. then his, I love Jack Duquesne because I just cannot figure out what this guy is. Right. And I love that. I love it. And it's just, oh God, I, again, I, I'm not good with actors names, but that guy is so good. Like I, I've fallen in love with swordsman. I hope he plays some kind of part. I mean, obviously he's going to, but I want him to have some kind of a uh, bigger role in something. Like I kind of, I still want to have like some kind of uh, some kind of uh, uh situational like thing where he puts on like some kind of costume because like, it's just because how ridiculous that that guy is in the mm -hmm. show like all of a sudden to see him turn a, a light like you know like like a light just switch to a different person i feel it's gonna happen and that could be a really cool moment i don't know i just love this character and how he plays it it's so so good and i just don't know if it's just if it's all for show sean and that again that's that's obviously the point but right I love it. I just, I, I, I hope that he's not just evil person that it's, and they've definitely been toying with it. Like, is he evil? Is he not? I mean, at first Kate's like, well, maybe I can, maybe he's not so bad. And then, and then Austin Clint's like, oh, he's bad. It's like, damn right. it. you know, I'm like, don't say that. So I love how they're doing this. There's this, all these great themes that we'll get into the show as we, uh, in a little later on, but there's also these great things like these characters like Jack Duquesne that 
is playing off this idea of like, what is good? What is bad? Is this person bad? What makes a person bad? It's again, we have that also with echo, you know, an echo of that, obviously no pun intended with, you know, Maya, uh, Maya, excuse me. And with, it's funny cause we have Duquesne and we have echo and like, they are like these instances, instances of like, you know, what is making a person bad? Like it, being involved in certain things that make them bad. It's obviously you get what I'm saying. It's, it's right. really interesting. These different, these different types of characters. And I, I love how they're just kind of playing off those different things. And Jack Duquesne, I'm just praying he's not this evil person. He's that kind of gray vigilante character like he is in the comics. And then he has, he has sports some kind of funny swordsman costume. I kind of see him doing that. Like he puts on some ridiculous, like this costume and be like, I'm the swordsman. You know, I can, I can see him doing that too. I don't know, but I, I love anything. He's on anytime he's on screen. I love him. He's pretty great. And I really hope he's not bad because I just called him a lovely man. And I would hate to regret yes. those words in uh, a week yeah. or two, but I think there's a chance that he's good. Well, I think we'll talk a little bit more about it as it comes up throughout the episode. But I think when I when I see all the other things that that kind of point in the direction of Jack Duquesne being the bad guy, it just feels like they've been pointing so hard in that direction from the beginning. And even when it looks like maybe that's not going to be the case, well, here's a piece of information that says that's definitely the case, that he's a bad guy. It feels like they're trying so hard to get us to buy into the idea that this guy is an antagonist in this story because it's a misdirect. And that's kind of what I'm hoping it is. I really hope that there is this redeemable quality to Jack Duquesne and all is not exactly what it seems that he's, at least in terms of him being the CEO of Sloan Limited and all this other stuff that it's more complex than that. And even if he's just more purely on the side of good, I'm totally up for that. I wouldn't be surprised. And I kind of hope this isn't true because I really like this character and would love to see him uh, live on in future stories. But I could see Jack Duquesne sacrificing himself to save Kate at some point in this one or mm. sacrificing, him to self, uh, sacrificing himself to save Eleanor but she doesn't deserve it because she's bad. Mm. I could see any of those scenarios playing out and Jack Duquesne showing off his uh, sword skills valiantly, but then ultimately falling in battle. I could see it happening, but I kind of hope it doesn't because like you, I've enjoyed Tony Dalton's portrayal of this character so much that I just really, really want to see it continue. And the scene, uh, the scene that we get next is, uh, well, Coming off of this scene, it's Eleanor walking Clint out. He has been able to grab the Ronin sword under his jacket, so he's got that. But Eleanor is appealing to Clint's emotions and him being a father, and she's a mother. And she goes right for it when Clint is talking about how Kate is kind of pretty good at this stuff. Then uh, Eleanor comes back with, Natasha Romanoff was pretty damn good at it, wasn't she? Uh, being good isn't always enough to keep you alive. And Eleanor appeals to Clint's sense of loss. This is my daughter, and I can't stand to lose her. I can tell you're a father, and you know what it's like in this business. You know what it's like to lose people. I can't go through that. And that is definitely reaching Clint. And all of that is perfectly fine and legitimate. But she goes another step further in this when she tells Clint, when she suggests, so you'll forget about this case? And then Clint says, sorry, I can't do that. And that's the tell right there is her saying, so you'll forget about this case, because those are two different things to ask for. It's one thing to ask that Clint leave Kate out of it, 
Can you please leave my daughter out of this and not be partners with her and not be palling around with her while you try to solve this case? Because I don't want her to be involved in the danger that's going to come with all of that. Perfectly legitimate ask from Eleanor to Clint. But there's no reason that Clint has to, if this is a criminal case, a thing that Clint Barton has to deal with, there's no reason for him to stop pursuing the case entirely. So I think this is more than just a mother looking out for her daughter's safety, but suggesting that Clint would forget about the case, uh, that's something else entirely. That, for Eleanor, is her being someone who doesn't want to get caught, which I think when we eventually find out that Eleanor is probably up to no good, you look back on a conversation like this, and it's downright diabolical because she's bringing up this horrible loss for Clint with Natasha and using that point of vulnerability to try and have this connection with him when that's not really what it's about. It's not really about the emotional stakes of losing someone. This is, I think anyway, Eleanor just not wanting to get caught. Or she's perfectly fine and not doing anything wrong, and I'm just heartless. We'll see. It's it's a tough one, man. And that's one of the surprises of the show that I wasn't anticipating was the the mother being kind of in this shady thing where it's it it very well could end up like being she's the you know a bad guy, even more than Jack at this point. And that's because there is that line at the very beginning, which I always thought was interesting, is when he's talking to his uncle, Jack is, and he says, Well, stop my money. And, you know, and in, in that context, in that scene, you think, oh, he's just marrying her for her money. But we kind of see her with some shady dealings, too. What does that mean? So it it is very interesting where this could where, where you could take this, because if Kate has to, you know, obviously we, we get the very beginning of the show as well, that Kate's closer to her dad than her mom. And then all, all she has is her mom at this point. And so with that, if the if the show ends up being where Kate has to learn a hard lesson of like you know, taking people down, you know, is it, when they're doing the wrong thing is, is hard, but when it's even harder when it's someone you care about, you know, and, and, and again, going back to the whole idea of echoing, losing your loved ones, like with, with echo herself when she lost her dad and those kinds of things. So, you know, and how, even though he did bad things, you know, and that kind of whole, uh, kind of example of a parallel, if you will, again, great stuff in the show that they they're setting up in the series, which is fantastic. But, I do think it's very interesting, and I'm not sure in the comic books if this was something that they, was a Kate thing. I, I remember in the comic books, I, at least when I have read it, the the early Young Avengers comics, and I'm not sure if Fraction uh, ever it fixed or meant, you know did more with this in, the, in his series or not. But I remember her parents being alive and just being like rich snobs, if I remember correctly. It was it was more just kind of like your traditional like, you know, you're she's a rich girl and she gets everything she wants and it's whatever. And again, I don't, I don't remember much more than that. And I don't know if this angle is in there, but I really like this angle a lot because I don't know what's going to happen. And I think there's a lot of emotional complexity that's going to be happening with Kate down the line. Because right now it's all very easy for her as far as an emotional, like, you know, got my mom. She's she's good. Jack is bad. You know, I want to be an Avenger, basically like my, my idol Hawkeye. And I feel that if her if she is evil, Sean, that's going to give her a whole different demeanor of her life that Hawkeye is trying to show her in this whole series and in this episode even, which mm-hmm. we get into. But I do like the idea of her mom being like the real bad guy kind of of the show. That's a really interesting idea. Well, there's someone in theory above her, right? Because there's right. a big guy that we're talking about. And Eleanor makes a phone call. As soon as Clint leaves, she makes a phone call asking someone to call her back and saying that it's urgent. So there is something going on. And 
we don't know that that was somebody who is her boss or maybe that's somebody who works for her that she wanted to loop in on this and address it. But her having to make an urgent phone call or leave an urgent message right after Clint Barton leaves her place, I think is very telling along with the comment that she made to Clint at the end. And even what she said to Kate previously about not snooping around or any of those things. She really doesn't want anybody investigating anything. And in the comic books, I don't remember exactly how it all played out, but I know that there was a villain turn for Kate's mom at some point in the comic books, and that much I do remember. So it's not out of left field for the MCU to do it. It is part of the source material. Ah. Obviously, it will be done or would be done if they are if they go that route in a very different way. But I also think that by the very nature of this series, just because we find out that Eleanor Bishop, if we do indeed find out that she is an antagonist, doesn't put it into that simple black and white, good guy, mm-hmm. bad guy, protagonist, antagonist type of territory. I, I think it's it can be presented as a little bit more complex than that. For example, for Eleanor, one of the other pieces of her talk track so far, going back to the first episode, what she was talking about with uh, with her late husband, how solutions don't just fall out of the sky, and you know, kind of, not kind of, definitely implying that as somebody who has just had wealth all his life, that hasn't really had to be faced with decisions that she was re- that she was prepared to face. We have to sell our place, whatever it is, um, with the conversation that they were, the argument that they were having right before he died, and then what she said to Kate later in that first episode that. People who are rich, people who are young or people who are rich, they think they're invincible. You're neither one of those things. And so we know that Eleanor seems more like a self-made type of person. And maybe whatever she's gotten involved in is something that she was doing and justified to herself as this is what it took to survive, to provide for myself and my daughter after uh, after our, you know, my the father of my child, as well as my husband was taken from us. This is what we had to do in order to survive. And at some point, we got in so deep that we just had to keep going because there was no way out. The only thing, because if you start working for a guy like Wilson Fisk, you don't get to retire, you don't get to resign, you keep going or you die. That's That tends to be how, it were, how employment contracts work with Wilson Fisk. So if that's what we're talking about here, then I, I think it can be presented in a way that doesn't make Eleanor absolutely bad even though she is somebody who presumably at this point as we're theorizing here has done some bad things another interesting piece is happening here as clint is in the elevator ride down he's texting laura and asking her to run sloan limited remember that's the company that kate Mm -hmm. discovered that kazi is working for uh, last week so now laura is helping I know that she knew about the tracksuit mafia because she talked about that. Like when Clint was talking about it, she recognized them. But that could have just been from Clint, in theory, just talking about work and stuff that he's dealt with in the past. That's not necessarily her playing an active role in the investigations that Clint is a part of. This is her actually tracking down information on Kazi, on Sloan Limited. That's a much more legitimate thing or much more active thing for Laura to be doing and it doesn't take her very long, and she reports that Kazi is working for Sloan Limited, and Jack Duquesne is the CEO, which leads Clint to thinking, is he laundering money for the big guy? And while they're having the conversation, because Laura doesn't want the kids to overhear everything, she starts speaking in German, 
and asks if anything else went missing from Avengers Compound, meaning the Rolex. They thought it had been destroyed, but Clint says to better safe than sorry, check the signal for the transmitter, so Laura is going to do that. And so now Laura is running names and companies and digging up info. She's speaking at least one more language than we knew that she was able to speak. And Mm. she knew about the watch and was the one who was thinking about the watch before Clint did. What is her connection to the watch? Did it belong to her? And we found out, we will find out later in the episode, but pardon me, I'll just go ahead and skip ahead now and get to it. So Clint talks about it because we just, I want to talk about this now. Uh, No, you're good. good. We'll have so much to talk about at the end of the episode. So I want to go ahead and have the Laura Barton conversation now. Yeah. I agree, I agree. So later on in the episode, when Clint is explaining the significance of the watch to, uh, when he's explaining it to Kate, he's saying how it used to belong to somebody who's been out of the game, but if it were if it were somebody who, if they were to find out the connection between the watch to this person and be able to identify this person, as Clint says, it would be goodbye friend. Because um, he says it belongs to someone Clint used to work with, been out of the game a long time, but their identity is still attached to that watch. If the tracksuits find out who it is, it blows that person's cover. Goodbye, friend, as Clint explains it. So this watch either belonged to Laura or it belongs to someone that both Clint and Laura knew. And I'm leaning in the direction of belong to Laura right now. And I know I'm not the only one who started thinking about this, but the question that was going through my mind just... Going back to the comic books and the people that Clint has had romantic relationships with in the comics, and I start thinking, is Laura Barton Mockingbird? I, I really, mm. I, I, it felt like that. I mean, we know their long-term romance in the comic books, and now here's Laura Barton, who's acting like somebody who is a former agent, for sure, and maybe not so much former, I don't know. But we know from Age of Ultron that Nick Fury helped Clint Barton set up this life and keep it all off the grid. Well, who's to say that Clint Barton was the only one who was an agent that Nick Fury helped. Maybe this was all part of it, of setting up this life that they were going to have is perhaps a new identity, because I know Mockingbird is supposed to be Bobby Morse, so maybe that was her name, or maybe Bobby Morse was an alias and the real name was Laura, and that's why she chose that for the the secret identity, the hidden life that the Bartons would have over at the Barton Mm. family farm. It certainly feels to me like there's a lot more to Laura than we previously knew in these very, very short interactions just in this episode. And I think I feel like the watch is hers. Maybe we'll find out it's it's someone else's. But I was certainly getting some some Mockingbird vibes from from that reveal of, of all, all of a sudden uh, Laura is an active participant in, in Clint's business. It, I never really occurred to me until she spoke German and they said they revealed, you know, there's blow their cover or whatever. I went, what? It didn't really put two and two together, but I'm like, that's interesting. Hmm. I thought it was just maybe like a fun thing to do, you know, to, to, to communicate around the kids and not to, you know, worry about it or whatever. But then I thought, but then when you texted me that I went, Oh, and all of a sudden it all kind of came together because here's the, here's the thing, you know, when, when Clint made the call for Natasha, you know, I'm, you got to wonder, Maybe that was, you know, not the reason why he made the call for Natasha, but maybe that, you know, they needed a new uh, operative to fill, you know, Mockingbird's role with Clint 
in Nick Fury, and he said, "You know what? This girl's perfect. She's she's we the one that re- replace what we you know we lost with you know Laura or Bobby or you know whatever." And it would be really interesting if that was if she would that would tie into the origin or the how uh, Natasha was able to get in with Shield is because maybe there was a vacancy because of Laura, you know, leaving for become you know, have a family. And I also like the idea too that. You know, the Clint is still working for Nick Fury and there's there's a loyalty there because maybe because Nick Fury said, you know, I'll protect your wife. I'll be the one, to, you know, I'll, I'll make sure this all goes away mm-hmm. and, you know, you guys can have your life. And he obviously knows where they live because he went, he shows up, obviously. And right. And, uh, and then, you know, whatever. And uh, I mean, we don't want to talk about. But uh, age old drum. But I do find it interesting that I think that there could be connections there for it, because if. If Laura leaves and then he doesn't have a partner that go out and you know and, and fight with, then maybe that that makes more sense where he finds someone like Natasha, like a kindred spirit, and goes, you know, what, you, you remind me of you know myself, and he says this could be Laura's replacement, and then all of a sudden you know they t- it takes on that whole new life, and I, I, I there's something there I think is very interesting, and just and it, honestly I'll be honest here, it makes me like more and more than this version of Hawkeye, which we'll get into much later here in a second, but. I definitely do feel if this is I do want her to be Mockingbird, I'll be honest, because when you told me that thing, I went, oh, man, that makes a lot of sense. And I love um, I, I just love that idea of of having Mockingbird and having a more cohesive uh, kind of character with a or not character, but a more cohesive like 616 with the MCU version. So, yeah, I'm 100 percent into that idea. I think it's a very interesting way to kind of bridge back. I mean, you could even call it a little bit of retconning to have a little bit more Hawkeye comic book continuity into the MCU and and have it there retroactively, because I don't think this would have been the original intention when they set up the family for Hawkeye in Avengers Age of Ultron. I don't think anybody was thinking we will ultimately reveal one day that Laura was an agent and she was Mockingbird, or even if she's not Mockingbird, that she was just an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. of some sort, and that's how she met Clint. Or even if she wasn't working for S.H.I.E.L.D., I mean, if S.H.I.E.L.D. is full of spies, as it was, and Clint is around uh, working with, uh, you know, working as a spy or as an agent in whatever capacity that he would run into and have various contacts, and so there would have been multiple ways for him to potentially interact with Laura and meet him, meet her through work. It's certainly possible for Clint Barton, but taking it a step further than that, and I don't think they would have even thought that much when they were making Age of Ultron, but to go now and, and be able to connect it um, and reach back in that way, and it doesn't do anything to betray what's happened before. They don't tell us anything in Age of Ultron or since then We don't know exactly how Clint and Laura met. We don't know anything about that. So all of that stuff is fair game. That's a gap in the MCU timeline that they can fill with whatever information they want. And it seems like we're getting that in this. And I also think the watch being Laura's makes a lot of sense because it keeps things contained to this story. And now that we are four episodes in, we're basically through act two at this point in the story. And I don't really see now, even though there can always be characters who get introduced at the very end, he who remains in the last episode of Loki. So it's possible to do that. And it has happened. But there have also been those other times where 
the characters you've been shown the whole time are the characters you're dealing with in the last episode or two, like WandaVision. And I kind of feel like Hawkeye is more in that vein of being a little bit more self-contained. So it would be a little off, I think, to find out that the watch belongs to maybe Nick Fury, but everybody already knows Nick Fury's identity. So right. if it were to belong to somebody who isn't one of the pieces in this story that all of a sudden we'd be worrying about, I don't really think... That just doesn't seem like it would be the case for me. At least it wouldn't be the thing I would think of as the most likely thing yeah. to happen. And now, flash forward to a week and a half, two weeks from now, and I could be proven flat wrong, and it does belong to somebody else, Avengers level, and it's a crazy reveal about the watch. But I already think it's a big enough reveal to say that this belonged to Laura, yeah. and she had a pass as an agent, and maybe she she went by the call sign or code name of Mockingbird. That would be more than enough. Uh, that would be very exciting. And I know for my fellow Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. fans out there, you're thinking Adrian Paliki is Bobby Moore slash Mockingbird in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and that's true. But it's not part of the sacred timeline, the MCU Prime timeline, So as far as the continuity is concerned. Mm -hmm. So I don't think they need to avoid Mockingbird in the MCU proper for the sake of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., nor do I think they would. There's not a chance. So I, yeah. I think there is a, a, a decent chance, speaking of probability, that we will find out that Laura is Mockingbird. And even without that name, an agent and the watch belongs to her. It would be fascinating if the watch does, potentially anyway, if, if the watch belongs to somebody else that they both know, because then I would then I would be wondering, who would that person be? Who would be the type of person that both Clint and Laura right. would have a relationship? Because as far as I can tell, the only one who knew both of them would have been, amongst other MCU mainstays, would be Natasha Romanoff, and Nick Fury. That's kind of right. it. Um, who would have dated back to the the secret agent days. So I, I think, but anyway, rambling I, well, on here, apologies for it, but I still think it's Laura's watch. No, I, I think you're right. And I think you said it's fair game because, you know, when you they introduce Laura, they don't give any backstory. And I think this is one of the benefits of having, and I think that comic books have done a great job over the years, is that when one writer does something, like, a, you know, again, Joss Whedon, you know, write something that may not be what the, they intended. What it's, what it turns into is very much what happens in the comics constantly. Totally. It's one of the it's one of the reasons why I love, you know, comic book continuity and 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 the interconnectivity that these things have. And I think that's what the Marvel universe, the mainstream, are seeing that one of the advantages of actually are when maybe something like this happens in Age of Ultron that I'm not a big fan of that it could turn into something that's way cooler than what that person even intended. And it takes a whole life of itself. Um, it, so I think that to me is the advantage of having these interconnected, you know, things that sometimes these things that we all think kind of suck maybe, or like myself, I don't like it very much. All of a sudden someone will just twist a few things and all of a sudden it makes it awesome. So that's why I love this stuff. I love these interconnected universes and all everyone loves them, but this is why I love it. Cause when things like this happen, it makes it more special. And I don't, I, I just, I love that idea of having her be Bobby or anybody, even if it's like you said, if it's a different agent, it's still really interesting. And it makes that, mm -hmm. it makes Age of Ultron, that whole Ninja Turtle scene that much better. It really does. And I think anytime you can add depth to a character, it's a good idea. And right. to show that Laura Barton is more than Clint's wife and the mother of Clint's children, to have her be more of an active participant in things and show that not only is she a more active participant in this story, but she has been in other stories that we just haven't seen. That's a very interesting thing that you can do with her as a character that builds on it. Like you said, this is what comic books do. And this happens all the time in comic books where you have a character that's introduced 
in one specific way and is a minor character. And then some writer comes along and they really like that character and they decide they're going to dedicate an entire story or multiple stories to that character and really flesh out who that character is to inform stories from the past, but then, of course, inform stories in the future. So I think anytime that stuff happens, it's great to, as I said, add depth to a character. So I think it's worth doing. And I think it's something that could really be it's already interesting just based on where we are at where we're at with it right now in this show and what we're little by little discovering about Laura Barton but when we get even more revealed if we do and I think we will then I think it's just going to be beneficial to that character this series and the MCU overall so I am totally here for it and uh, I'm also here for the family meeting that we get between Jack Eleanor and Kate so Jack is going to get Eleanor some tea because he can see that she has a headache coming on. So a very doting fiance of Jack Duquesne tending to Eleanor. And meanwhile, as he's fetching the tea, Eleanor wants Kate's help with the company holiday party. Kate doesn't care about any of that. And then Jack is asking Eleanor to dance, which Eleanor doesn't do, except she dances with Jack. And we see that Kate actually enjoys this moment between Jack and her mother. Kate sees Jack making her mother happy, and Kate is happy about that. And it's such a great moment that is played so well by Haley Steinfeld. The way that she looks down right after she first cracks a smile, because she's got Mm -hmm. her serious face on 100%, and then she enjoys that moment of her mom just being happy with Jack. And the smile perks up just a bit, and then she immediately looks down, almost as if she's embarrassed by it, or she just wants to hide it. She doesn't want Jack or Eleanor to see how much she's actually enjoying this moment. So she doesn't, she doesn't want to let her guard down right away, but she does, moments later, she does look up with the full smile. Uh, she just can't help it. This is the kind of family moment that she probably hasn't seen, hasn't felt since her father died, and now it's right here in front of her, And she is enjoying it. Now, of course, her enjoying that moment will make other information that she'll learn that much more hurt, uh, that much more hurtful. But I thought Haley Steinfeld did a a great job portraying that moment in a a very authentic way. This was a a scene that I was not anticipating. And I was really pleasantly surprised by everyone. Everyone's acting and just it felt very authentic. And I really liked the fact that Kate just could not help herself. And I love, I love this version of Kate. I think Haley Steinfeld has done a phenomenal job as this, the MCU version of, of uh, Kate Bishop. And I love this version so much because there's a vulnerability to her that she just, she tries to put on that, that game face of like, I'm a superhero and mm-hmm. it's played for laughs. And I, and I, and again, rightfully so in a lot of ways we get to also in this episode. Um, and maybe it's sometimes it's a little too on the nose, but there's it does open up these moments of where she like she is a, still a kid you know a young a young woman and she is you know again she's not quite there as like figuring things out as far as like who to trust and whatnot and she still has that you know that that innocence of like you know oh man like this this guy is making my mom happy even though he might have murdered her you know his uncle potentially you know kind of a thing and there is that idea of like well maybe he's not so bad and mm-hmm. it's it, it was something i was not really anticipating again it wasn't anticipating this but it was a really great moment and the way they played off and they write it 
at first, it get, at first I was just kind of like, okay, this ham it up a little bit. I'm like, whatever. But it, as it went on, it got better and it just felt more natural. And just seeing how, and it kind of with Kate, is the whole, deme- the whole demeanor of like, Oh, I don't like this to like, Oh, it's kind of sweet actually. And right. it kind of, it, you buy into it as an audience. So again, it was like, oh man, like it was a great, great scene. I really like this version of Kate. It just, she's just kind of not all over the place, but she's just, there's such a uh, vulnerability to her a little bit mm-hmm. that I really like about, and that and I can relate to in some ways. Cause you, I think she wants to believe that people are good. She hasn't, you know, been bitter, you know, been uh, beaten down by the world yet. As we've seen in this episode, she's, you know, she grew up rich. So we get, you know, she, we get to see the other side of her. It's like, man, like, she maybe thinks maybe things aren't as bad as I think it might be. So there is this great like sense of how the writers are writing the character and how Haley's playing her. That thing is, is really, really great. And I love these moments we get with her that to show her that she's just not quite figured things out yet. And that vulnerability is there. And I think that's really like a really uh, strong testament to the character, to be honest. I think it's all really, really great stuff. And this scene is so disarming in so many ways. Kate is disarmed in this. She has right. had her emotional guard up this entire time as it relates to Jack. And here's the moment where she just lets it go for a moment because she just wants to enjoy it. And I think, or rather, I don't think that she's the only one. I think Jack is enjoying this moment and maybe Jack is enjoying this moment in a very pure way that goes against everything that that people suspect of him right now. But even for Eleanor, who I'm obviously very suspicious of, I think her enjoyment of that moment is also genuine. I think this moment is a little bit of an escape for these characters, but especially for Kate and Eleanor, where they know we don't know. We don't know everything that Eleanor is dealing with. We have a much better sense of what Kate is dealing with. But regardless of of where they're both at, we know that they're both in places where they are on the defensive quite a bit. And here's a moment that they just relax and enjoy. And it can seem a little warped if in context we find out that Eleanor is bad and maybe even ends up doing something that might harm Kate or Jack or both or whoever. In this moment, this is where these characters want to believe that this is true. They want to believe that this is their situation. Both Jack and Eleanor note how wonderful it is to be together with family during the holidays. That, of course, makes Kate uh, Kate think of Clint. Uh, More on that in a moment. But I think they all want to believe this moment is real. And in this moment, at this point in time, this moment is as real to them as anything, even if it is contradictory compared to other things that have happened before this and other things that may happen after this. This is a moment where they all just want to believe that this is their life because it is very, very nice. And I love that Jack is messing up his sayings, like messing up the Forrest Gump line. You don't know, you know what they say. Life is short. You never know what you're going to get. And him throwing out board game suggestions like Risk, Yahtzee, or Stratego. He's throwing out games to play. And I found myself thinking once again in this scene, like the, the one before, dear Jack Duquesne, please don't be bad. I'm like Kate right <laughs> here in this scene. I need Jack to be... Mm-hmm. This sweet, doting fiance slash stepfather that he seems to be some of the time, I would much rather have him be that guy than be the guy who confirms our worst suspicions of him. And I think that's a testament to Tony Dalton and, and his performance that he's been able to play both sides of this at the times and, and the moments where it seemed like Jack Duquesne was being 
a little more smarmy, like just feeling a little underhanded, a little sneaky. But then you realize you watch these moments, and it makes you go back and question those moments. Was he really being bad in those moments, or was I just already was I just already biased because he was presented as being a suspicious character as opposed to actually having done anything suspicious? Well, he did steal the Ronin sword that he didn't win, so he has done one bad thing for sure that we know about. But I, I really hope that Jack Duquesne is is kind of the nice guy that he seems to be in this scene because uh, I'm like Kate. I, I want to believe mm-hmm. that this is real. Absolutely. So, so as I mentioned, Kate was thinking of Clint Barton because as she has an opportunity to enjoy this very pure moment with her family, she thinks of the guy who doesn't get to do that, and that is Clint Barton. So she decides to throw the movie marathon slash ugly sweater party, these events that Clint is missing at his own house. Kate is going to go have those events with him at the apartment of her aunt or whoever that is, Moira Brandon. Kate brings pizza, pizza dog, and Christmas cheer. She's got Christmas movies, including Die Hard, so that's settled once and for all. If, it, if Die Hard is a Christmas movie in MCU canon, then it just is, and everybody can stop talking about it every Christmas. And Clint tells Kate uh, what he learned about Jack. And another great uh, performance moment by Haley Steinfeld. And, of course, as we're talking about great performance moments, Jeremy Renner is crushing it in all of these scenes just as much mm-hmm. as, as Haley Steinfeld is. He is outstanding in this series. But when we talk about these facial reactions for Haley Steinfeld as Kate Bishop, the way you see her heart break a little bit when Clint points out the connection between Jack Duquesne as the CEO of Sloan Limited and how that's a front for the tracksuit mafia and, you know, the big guy that they were talking, we was talking about with Laura earlier, you see Kate, uh, as I said, her heart breaks a little bit because it just blew up that moment. She let her guard down to think that uh, that Jack might actually be an okay guy and good for her mom and able to make her mom happy. And Kate cares about that. And now here's this piece of information that goes back to what you were suspicious of is probably true, that he is involved in this in a very direct and a very harmful way. So I know you just allowed yourself to have that moment, Kate, but it, it wasn't real because Jack Duquesne is, uh, is a bad guy. And what's even more meaningful in the scene, or what adds to it, rather, isn't just her face when he says that, but what she asks him. She even asks, are you sure? Remember that Kate was the one who turned Clint on to Jack in the first place, saying, this is the guy, my stepdad, or the guy who's going to be my stepdad. He's connected to this. And Clint wasn't even thinking about or knowing about Jack Duquesne. That was a connection that Kate pointed out. And now Clint is essentially saying, you're right, he is connected to this, and now Kate is the one asking, are you sure? Because Kate doesn't want it to be true anymore. There might have been a part of her that was happy with this, not happy, happy is the wrong word, but didn't totally mind the idea that this guy who all of a sudden was her mom's fiancé, that she didn't really know about the full extent of their relationship, he's the fiancé now all of a sudden, and that I just I don't trust him because I don't trust this situation He must be bad, and he's been around these other bad things that have happened. So I'm totally into this idea of him being bad. Now I had a moment where he seemed like an okay guy. I want that to be the truth now, and Clint is telling me it isn't. And now I'm I'm disappointed, but I also want to question it. So her having that moment and then immediately having it be tainted by what she learns in her next interaction with Clint, all of that was just more brilliant work that just makes this, this entire series and all these scenes just so emotionally rich and complex. Yeah, this was such a great little scene and for what it sets up later on. 
here in a second, but it's great kind of thing for us to see, you know, Hawkeye just, again, he's, he's kind of, he's still reeling from everything he's gone through in the previous episodes. And he's, you know, as he's, you know, icing up from all the frozen foods that are in their freezer and he's, you know, just sitting there. And I love the fact that she brings in all these movies. And, and also I, first thing I thought of out loud was physical media for, you know, for the win, uh, <laughs> you know, their DVDs, but we'll, we won't have to talk about that. Um, but, uh, no, I, I thought it was a really fun little scene here. And I definitely bummed me out when there's like most people, yeah, there's like Kate, it's like, no, wait, are you sure he's, he's involved? It's like, ah, no, stop it. Stop it. So yeah, I was, I was a little bummed out when, when, uh, Hawkeye had to say that out loud, but, uh, but yeah, it was a uh, it was a good it was a fun little scene how, uh, seeing all the, the the little Easter egg movies they brought in because obviously those must be films that they all probably love to watch at Christmas so that's probably why what's all there. So it's a, it was a, a good little precursor of what we're about to get because I think what we get here is some pretty amazing stuff uh, as far as character wise. I think in, in, in the next scene. Yeah, with this whole sequence, I mean, it's only just getting started with this initial part of the conversation right. and. Kate, to her credit, recovers very quickly. So we see her absorb this information, not really like this information, but she recovers quickly and is talking about, okay, well, we'll deal with this issue, but then also we're going to have some holiday cheer and we're going to have our party and it's time for the ugly sweaters and everything else. I also love the Thanos was right mug that Clint is sipping out of repeatedly in this whole sequence and Kate writing all over the poster to try and chart how everything's connected, except she didn't use dry erase, but it's a poster frame, so, I mean, the poster should be fine. And Clint is talking about how he's all out of trick arrows, he has the arrowheads, but you can't just put them on any shaft, which had me thinking about, because we don't really discuss a lot of connections between Clint Barton and the world of Wakanda and Black Panther. Are the arrow shafts vibranium that Clint uses when it's a trick arrow? I don't know. Like, when he's talking about how that's something that you can run out of, it's obviously not something that's readily available to everyone, so it makes me wonder what's up with uh, all of Hawkeye's arrows. But anyway, maybe that will be something that gets that gets explored. Maybe not, but it was certainly something that caught my attention. Kate makes the suggestion of boomerang arrows because they come back, which Clint says is exactly the problem with boomerang arrows, but you need to get them back because trick arrows are in limited supply. And that is a great moment that they flipped from the comic books so in the comic books it's clint who is suggesting that boomerang arrows would be a good idea famously with the uh, dialogue bubble there because boomerangs one of the more uh beloved moments in the matt fraction david aha run of hawkeye and uh, i love kate talking about how you'd have to dodge if uh, if the arrows came back so interesting that they flipped it for this series, that they would have Kate being the one to suggest boomerang arrows as opposed to Clint. I'm just happy that they paid homage to this moment from the comic books. And I think it was the right decision to have Kate be the one mm -hmm. to make the suggestion, especially with the with the way these characters are presented in this series, that Kate is the one who's more excited and playful about it and the adventure of it all versus Clint, who's more about the sobering reality of it all. So of the two of them as presented in the MCU right now in this moment, I agree with this show's ultimate decision that Kate Bishop would be the one who would be more likely to suggest and, and fall in love with the idea of boomerang arrows. Well, yeah. And I think it, like you said, it makes the most sense character wise. Cause again, the six sixteen universe, they are very much flipped 
like they're almost exact flipped versions of each other because in the 616, Kate's got her stuff together. Like she's, and I said that, you know, in the first episode that the Kate Bishop that I really liked from the young adventure comics, she's a very, very confident, very capable person that doesn't really make a lot of mistakes. She's kind of without any powers. She's probably the smartest one of all of them. And it's, it just kind of knows what she's doing. And this is a little bit of a flip of that. She definitely has a little more of a recklessness that Clint Barton has from the 616 universe in the MCU for Kate, this Kate Bishop. And I think with all that said, it makes more sense that this Hawkeye with his experience would know why boomerang, boomerang arrows would not be a good idea. And Kate would be like, well, this is a great idea. Cause she's always, you know, again, her, her, not her, her experience in that vulnerability I talked about, you know, from the previous scene that comes into play here because it, 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 it again extends the idea that Kate has, is always thinking. And I love that about the, this, this character, honestly, is the fact that she's always thinking ahead, like, what can I do differently? What can what can we do to make it make myself better and better the situation as a superhero or whatever? And I think they're they're dropping lots of hints here, Sean, which we'll get into in a little bit. That I feel like we talked about this last episode. It's kind of they kind of retread a little bit, foreshadow. It feels like foreshadowing, which we'll get that in a second. But that we're getting, you know, that she's just tr always constantly trying to think about making things a little bit different and mm -hmm. how doing things differently can maybe be, be a better outcome and how sometimes Hawkeye might, may already have an answer, but maybe she'll think differently. And I like the idea that we're kind of setting up that even though she's kind of like his, you know, that's his, that's her mentor and her idol, that she might make things herself or do things herself her own way and give her the, her own like independence and her own like, you know, individuality, which is really interesting, which is that they've definitely foreshadowed this a little bit. We'll, we'll get that in a second, but I love this little stuff, this, this little nod to hear that comic book scene. And, uh, I, again, I, I totally agree with you. I think that they made the right choice. It makes most more sense with this way. And I agree with you. Agreement all around when we're talking Yay. about where things are headed for Kate Bishop, that they're already establishing what makes these characters different. And I think the mission of this series in, in some ways is to bring them closer together, not just have them be friends and partners and all that stuff, but they both have the opportunity to learn from each other. Kate as a brand new, not even full-fledged superhero just yet, but almost there, getting there versus Clint, who's like the hardened veteran, to have them learning from each other. Kate needs some of the, the lessons that, that Clint has to teach her, including the lessons of, hey, let's not throw caution to the wind all the time. There are some times where if we have an opportunity to be careful about something, we need to do it because what we're dealing with is very serious and people can and do die. So Kate does need to be mindful of that, and she needs to get closer to where Clint is in that respect. At the same time for Clint, for the sake of, if nothing else, enjoying his life and enjoying his family and everything else, and also just maybe accepting and loving himself a little bit, he needs some of the, the lighter side. He needs the optimism that Kate has, some of that compassion, even forgiveness and forgiving himself. He needs some of that from Kate Bishop. So you have two characters that have a lot to learn from each other, so they're perfectly paired in this series. But then going forward inevitably we see that they are still going to be different people. And so as Kate becomes a Hawkeye in her own right, we know that she's going to be her own brand of Hawkeye. And uh, that's going to be very exciting. And I love all the teachable stuff, like what we get to later in the episode about uh, a quick exit's better than a quick entrance. And in this one where he's teaching her how to basically do the, the coin flip in a way that's lethal or non-lethal if you're just knocking people out. But um, I like that, that moment and that back and forth 
as they're uh, tearing up the apartment a little bit. Not very much. I mean, Kate didn't do that much damage when she missed, but her learning that. And then we have all this fun, and then we sit down for a very serious conversation where Kate is asking about the best shot that Clint ever took. And this is a real moment for Clint Barton. When we talk about characters letting their guard down in this episode, Clint could have brushed this off, and he could have just named a really cool shot that he made one time with an arrow. And he's made so many that he could have just picked any one and any one of those would have amazed Kate Bishop and impressed her in that moment. And that could have been the end of it. So even though Clint tries to act initially, like he doesn't want to talk about this subject, he totally did because he's the one who pointed in that direction. When he said the best shot he ever took, it was the one that he didn't take. And that was Natasha, because Kate is prying here, and Clint's trying to say it's not a good story, but it is something that Clint wants to say, even though he's acting like he doesn't. And so he talks about that moment that we've heard about, and every time we hear about this, it's really more from Natasha's perspective. So now we get Clint's perspective on the fact that he was originally tasked with killing Natasha Romanoff, and he decided not to do it. We've heard this characterized, spoken of as he made a different call. This is Clint saying that he couldn't do it, that he sensed that Natasha was someone who wanted out and he just wanted to help and he wanted to help her. And then he goes on to say that Natasha was the best there was. And then he tries to button this up and, and brush it off to, uh, uh, to an extent, but only so much because he knows he can't really do it. When he says, when you do what I do for a living, it's just a game of managing loss which is a game of managing loss right, as if it's a question at the end of it. And just Clint being unable to unable to stop himself from sharing, presenting as it presenting it as if he doesn't want to, but then actually letting all of this information out. This is kind of what we were talking about last week of the moments that Clint Barton had to confess and he just couldn't do it. And he doesn't directly confess right here in this moment. That's coming up in the conversation. But Kate really has to ask that there's still some information that Clint really, really, really wants to get out. But it's just tough for him to let himself do that. So it's really all about Kate here being in this moment and connecting with him so that whether he wants to or not, because deep down he really, really wants to, to overcome whatever hesitation he's feeling on the surface to share because in order for him to move forward in his life and, and maybe be able to forgive himself for some of the worst things that he's done, he does have to admit it and not just to himself, mm -hmm. admit it to someone else to be responsible for it, to be accountable for it. And we see that process really beginning in earnest in this scene. And it couldn't have been, it could not have been done better. Yeah. This, this whole sequence is one reason why I love, love, love the show. And there's such great character moments. And I really feel like the arc that Clint's on right now, this is what I was looking forward to seeing and, and seeing the writing and the, and the acting by Jeremy, you know, Jeremy Renner. And as someone who hasn't loved the character from this, you know, MCU uh, version, this show has really made me just fall really, really head over heels for this character. To be honest, I, I think, you know, Endgame kind of started it. And this show has really made me love this character even more than I ever thought I'd ever be capable of doing. And when when Kate sits down with them, and they start having that serious conversation. 
I immediately knew like, okay, we're going to get some really interesting things in this. And immediately when she said, what's your, what's, what's the best shot you ever took? I went, I know exactly what he's going to say. Mm-hmm. I just knew it. And I mean, I don't think it's, I think it's obvious, but it was really, really, really cool to see him tell her like, no, it's not, it's not the, 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 the trick shot or whatever, but it's rather like the one I didn't take and, and what that means. And sometimes that it kind of felt like almost like uh, the Lord of the Rings and Gandalf is like, you know, don't just you know kill you know, Gollum, Frodo. He's got to roll the you know roll roll the play, and it felt very much like that, obviously. But that is true, though. I mean, you can't always be that judge and jury, which is ironic. What he eventually tells her in a second, right? What he reveals to her, you know, right. about the, the Ronin. So it's really fascinating that he's again before he even tells her or he that she finds out what happens, he's telling her. Again, it's wrong to take that in your own hands, even though what she's about to find out. So there's a great I just love how Clint, he can't admit it to himself out loud still. That's how much it really destroys him. And again, we're going to get that, I think, eventually mm-hmm. in the series. And I love those themes of just coming to terms with you know mistakes that you've made and how moving on really is identifying them and, and saying them out loud in, in, or confession like, or confessing. Sometimes that right. is the best way of getting over things. And I, I definitely believe that in, in my heart. I really do. And I think that's really cool to see Clint that he, even though he can't quite say it to Kate, when she figures it out, it's, it's his way of like, he's almost, he's trying to tell her, but he just can't. And before, you know, he, she finds out it's him basically telling her that like, you can't just take things in your own hands. You just can't all the time. And I think that's a valuable, valuable, uh, lesson there for kate that they do a great job of you know leading up to that moment with with he reveals or she finds out that he's ronin yeah they really do a great job with that and the way it's played out just feels so so real for these characters in this moment where clint barton has been trying to trying to have trying to reconcile what he's done with ronin or Really, I think for the most part, in some ways, it's almost still trying to cover it up. Like he doesn't want what he did as Ronan. He doesn't want that to negatively impact or do any more harm than he's already done as Ronan. So he's trying to limit the damage. But I think what he's being forced to deal with or, or confront in this series is that the only way to really put this to rest is, and the only way for Ronan to really be killed is for Clint to acknowledge the full extent of Ronan's existence. And that is something that Clint has been denying up until this point, but he wants to let it out. And that's very clear in this scene. And when Kate transitions a little bit from talking about as they're watching uh, It's a Wonderful Life on screen, and, and so as they're having their holiday movie marathon, and they're talking this out, and things are getting real, and Kate recognizes this, and she continues the conversation by talking about Clint and how he must have lost, he lost all his family in the blip, and Clint talks about how that was devastating, and, and everybody dealt with that in their own way, and Kate is first suggesting the idea that is that when Clint met Ronan or something like that, but at this point, I think Kate knows what really happened, and she suggests it a moment later, uh, if she didn't already know before, but she suggested a moment later when she says that, you know, that's because it was you, you were the Ronin. And you see when when Clint doesn't deny this, when he acknowledges that, yes, this is who he was and, and this was his deal after losing his family in the blip, 
there's that moment where Kate is visibly disappointed and you can see that she is hurt by that. She's hurt to learn that her hero uh, has done these horrible things as Ronan. But at the same time, she doesn't fully judge him for it. And I think it's because of the nature of the conversation that they're having that they were talking about this being his response to he lost his family. He lost everything. And this was how he responded to it. Obviously, it's not a very good response. Obviously, it's a very harmful response, and he did a lot of bad things. But Kate understands what put Clint in that place, which is why she's not going to judge him completely for that, which is not her saying, it's okay for you to go around killing people. It's just understanding the complexity of the matter in this heightened storytelling that we're dealing with in the the world of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But then when we what adds even more depth to this whole back and forth conversation is the difference between how Kate sees Clint versus how Clint sees himself. So when Kate says when Clint says that he was just doing what he's always done when he was being Ronan and she says, well, that's helping people. And Clint says hurting people because that's what it always came down to. No matter what, it always came down to all the investigating, whatever he did. The end result was Clint Barton was going to have to hurt people. And Kate tries to say or tell Clint that he was a hero. And Clint shuts that down and says that he was a weapon. I was aimed by the right people at the right targets. That's everything right there for Clint. This this was his mindset, I think, that allowed him to rationalize being Ronin at the time. The pain of everything that he was dealing with with having lost uh, his family and all of that clouding his judgment and not necessarily having him thinking reasonably, but still having some internal logic to rationalize all of this as Ronan, that whatever he was doing as Ronan was the same as what he did. The net result was the same as what he was doing as an Avenger or as an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. or whatever it was. Put me in whatever costume or suit you want to put me in. Sign me up on whatever team you want me to be on. But it's almost Clint saying it just so happened to be a a helpful coincidence that the right people were aiming me at the right targets. That had nothing to do with me. I'm not the one who made a choice to be a hero. Other people put me in a position to be a hero. So with those people gone and it's just me, then I'm still just being me by being a weapon and hurting people as Ronan. That was how Clint rationalized it all to himself. But we know he doesn't ultimately agree with that because if he did... He wouldn't be so hurt and destroyed by the fact that he did spend all this time being Ronan and doing all of the horrible things that he did as Ronan. Yeah, this was really, really awesome, um, powerful kind of storytelling because I, you know, I, I, I think we all at some point or a lot of us in our lives have been disappointed by our heroes, whether or not you know them personally or you see them from afar you know, I, I've kind of done a little bit of both right, where I knew, you know, local heroes that I, I really loved in the, you know, in the music scene that I was in. And I would hear really crappy things that would happen and be like, man, it just kind of it bum you out. That whole idea of like, you know, never meet your heroes. It, it's somewhat true. Um, but it's it's only somewhat true if you if you hold them on a pedestal that they're they're perfect. Right. And I think that. Again, the whole idea of Kate Bishop being this vulnerable, very kind of a little more naive character. She doesn't, you know, she expects, you know, Clinton Barton to be that perf- that perfect person. Like, right. He is like he always hits his shot. He's Hawkeye. Right. That's the whole idea. He always hits the bullseye. He's got to be perfect. That's his character. And when she, when he reve- when she finds out that he's Ronan and you, again, the whole idea that he said, like, 
again, I, I was a weapon and everyone dealt with the blip their own way. And there's so much guilt there. And because he knows she's going to be disappointed and she speaks and he knows that she speaks for everyone that like that is appreciative of Hawkeye and uh, adores Hawkeye and is a fan of Hawkeye in the, you know, in that universe, he knows that she represents that how disappointed she was and how he just is so lost in, in what, how he dealt with his grief, you know, in the blip. And I like the fact that he admits that like he, or he says, you know, everyone dealt with the blip their own way. And he was, and he was lost, you know, mm-hmm. and he went to the only thing he knew besides loving his family, which was to be that weapon. But when the, when the people who were pulling the trigger weren't there, he had nowhere else to go, but just be, you know, to get that out. And right. he obviously that regret that he has, I think we're, you know, obviously he, he probably killed people that like maybe doesn't deserve it. Like we see an echo potentially. And when her father that might, he might realize after the fact, like he went after some of the wrong people after, after the fact, kind of showing more of the reason why you need to have, if you're a weapon, the people pulling the trigger need to know their stuff. And maybe that's where he you know realizes now, like, I was just so lost. I didn't even care. I just assumed. And that right. all that guilt there is so it, it, it's so it was so all over his face. It, I don't know. I love the scene. This is one of my favorite scenes in the whole series. And maybe one of my favorite scenes in of all like in all the top 20 moments in all of MCU. I, I honestly wow. do think that. And it's because of the emotional impact of all the things that happen from Endgame. From right. what sets it's set up from, you know, Age of Ultron, it's all earned to where this moment of vulnerability of seeing, you know, Jer- you know, Jer- Clint Barton can't even confess it. She figures it out. Like he doesn't mm-hmm. tell her; he gives her the clues to figure it out for him, so he doesn't have to say it. Right. And that's so powerful. And the fact that she knows, like, she's not dumb enough to realize, or she's not dumb to realize, that, like, oh, he's just doing this. And, you know, I, I just figured it out on my own. Like she realized he's doing it on purpose. Right. And that's the thing is she's like, it adds even more insult to it. Right. You know? And so to me, having Haley, you know, her reaction is so perfect. It's not disgust. We're like, oh, I can't believe you. It, she's disgusted, but she's just shocked and just disappointed. And it's him just being like just um, and you know, indifferent almost. It, he's sad, but he's just kind of like, it is what it is. And he's trying to play that off. It's, it's a beautifully written shot and portrayed scene that I really am, am, I love. And it's one of the reasons why I love, you know, superhero characters and, and everything is because they, these things that they go through, we can identify with them and, and relate to them in some way. It's what, what we love stories in general. Right. And I feel like with superheroes, I love the idea that they, again, with the Marvel idea, right? Like Stanley and, and, and Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko, how they introduced the idea that these heroes have problems and these heroes are not perfect. Like, you know, that, that, they introduced that whole idea that Marvel is a different, more realistic, quote unquote, um, universe. And I think this is to me what makes Marvel characters and stories so resonant that they bring in those human elements of, for whatever reason, it just, it seems to be more fluent and, and just, they come out better to me anyway, in these movies, in these comics, in whatever video games, because they're, they're, there is that sense of vulnerability in the characters of being human and going through these humanistic things that we all go through as people that we can relate to. And I know, I know stories, everyone does this, but when you have superheroes be again, it just as an extra umph to it. Like, man, like if this person's not perfect, that means that like I I'm okay. Even as a kid, I identify with so many different superheroes. That's why I love Spider-Man. 
you know, like there was, I could identify with him because he was human. And I, I love the idea that this is kind of all those things kind of wrapped in there. It's a darker, it's a darker idea, but it's something that I think we need to identify as people more is the fact that the, we are imperfect, you know, imperfect people. And Clint represents that as I think, you know, the fact that, you know, we do things that are wrong and, but I think we do deserve forgiveness. And I think that that's Clint's way of dealing with things. You have to acknowledge it's wrong, obviously first right. uh, to be forgiven. And I think this is Clint's kind of way of, of going that way. You know, that route of asking forgiveness and acknowledging that he did was wrong. And this is kind of that, that, that the road that he's on getting there. And this is the first step to it. It's not an immediate thing. And I think showing that vulnerability for him, I keep saying that vulnerability because to me, that's what the show is about right now. And I think that's important for, I think people in general to know that like it's okay to be vulnerable. And I think that, you know, for, you know, macho guy like Jeremy Renner slash Kim Barton Hawkeye, that, that idea that, you know, yeah, it take it does may it may take a while to get there and to ask forgiveness and be vulnerable, but that's what but even if you go on that road and you start that that all it takes is one little start and then eventually things will get better. And I think that if I'm thinking this is right, I think this will be the start of the character healing himself from his David day, totally. Ronan. And so I feel like this is the first step, which I think is important for people who are maybe not have killed people necessarily, but have maybe have gone right. through something made mistakes. Yeah, our, so. our official stance on the podcast is that mass murder is bad and, and unforgivable. Right. <laughs> in the real but, world, in this heightened yeah. reality of the MCU, however, obviously these things play out differently because Natasha Romanoff has also done a lot of terrible things. A lot of people have done bad things. We're all rooting for Loki, and remember, killed 80 people in two days from the Avengers, so we're dealing with things in a very different context in these stories, obviously. But the way that they have this played out with Clint Barton in this conversation, uh, I think there was just a lot of truth in it. Obviously not the whole idea that he was killing a bunch of people, although it it is true in that storyline. But even the way that he confessed, because I think sometimes it's easy enough to portray that as if somebody has something that they just really want to be able to get off their chest, if there's something that they want to be held accountable for or whatever it may be, that they want to let that information out there, but sometimes it's not so easy to just come out with it right away. And so I think it's very authentic the way that Kate actually helps draw that confession out of him and uh, helps him confront that truth about himself to admit it to her, admit it to himself. And I think you're totally right in that this is going to be a a critical step in the journey of Clint Barton, the arc of Clint Barton in this series, that in order to move past this, he has to acknowledge it and work through it. And this was a huge, huge step in that process in this scene. And it was so uh, it was so well done. And it just had me going back to the conversation that he and Kate had last week about him not being a role model. And this is the sort of behavior that he was alluding to, of course. Clint has certainly done things that no one should ever do, especially if they want to be viewed as a role model. But for Clint to see himself differently could be a huge step for him as a character and maybe be in a position where... I don't know if by the end of this story, there's only two episodes left. So maybe it's still going to be too early for him to be comfortable with the idea of being seen as a role model. But if he can take some steps to being able to see himself as a hero rather than a weapon would certainly be very, very helpful for the overall emotional health of Clint Barton. So that is something that I am definitely rooting for. And I am glad that Kate Bishop is here 
to help him get there. And there's some other great moments at this uh, where Clint shows, expresses his genuine gratitude that Kate did this for him, that she threw this little Christmas party between the two of them. So he thanks her for that. And they bid each other good night. And Clint, as we see him trying to go to sleep, he takes out the hearing aid. And then we see the flashbacks. We see him having flashbacks of losing his family during the blip. All the things they just talked about, what he did as Ronan, and then, of course, losing Natasha Romanoff. And we get that Vormir music cue, which will come back into play a little bit later in the episode. The next morning, Clint and Kate are still there. Clint has a plan. He's going to go talk to Kazi. Kate is going to go get their arrows. And she does say our arrows, talking about the trick arrows from the LARPers. If you'll recall, a number of the LARPers work in law enforcement, and Clint has tracked the arrows to an evidence lockup. So that's where the LARPers are going to come back into this story. And Kate goes and meets the LARPers in the park, and they ask, who are you? And she says, Hawkeye sent me here, and then identifies herself as his partner slash best friend, Kate. There's a little beat there, Paul, after she says Hawkeye. She completes mm. the sentence to identify herself as his best friend or his partner slash best friend. But that little beat after she says Hawkeye, I got a kick out of that because it almost felt like she was identifying herself as Hawkeye. I mm -hmm. don't think that was her intent, really, because she was very clear about who she was. She wasn't necessarily mm -hmm. trying to be called Hawkeye. But just the way the line was delivered felt intentional Maybe not necessarily for Kate in that moment of what she was thinking, but for us as an audience that we say it this way and leave this beat to hold on to the idea that one day she really will get to be able to identify herself as Hawkeye in the MCU as she has in the comic books. So that little intro there, that certainly resonated with me. And, and I got, as I said, I got a kick out of it. I really enjoyed that moment, even though it really is only half a second before she continues the sentence and she's not calling herself Hawkeye. Yeah, I, I thought that was very intentional myself, too. It's almost like she was like, oh, wait, I'm not Hawkeye. I'm, you know, I'm his partner. It was because, again, foreshadowing what we eventually are probably going to get, which is really cool. I, I thought it was really kind of a clever way of, of doing that. And I thought she played it perfectly. Yeah, she really did. So I'm a big fan of that line delivery. And Kate is able to find somebody, Officer Wendy Conrad, who has a nickname on her bag later called Bombshell, because that is a character from the comic books. So we have that little Easter egg there, which we'll get in a later scene with the LARPers. We cut to Clint's meeting with Kazi, uh, Frothy, of course, back in this role. And Clint is telling Kazi that he really needs to convince Maya to drop her pursuit of the Ronin. And they talk about the boss again and how the boss is not going to like attention. So there's no way for this to end in a positive way for Maya, for Kazi, if she continues trying to track down Ronin. And the reason why Clint knows that there's no positive outcome is he is also going to defend himself. And this is a guy who has, I think he's trying to grow from this, but he just talked about how he's a weapon and what he does is hurt people. That's what he's always done. And so he does issue that final warning to Kazi because Clint says he doesn't want anyone else to die. And I believe that. I don't think Clint really has any intention on killing Maya Lopez or Kazi, or anyone else. I don't think he intends to do that, but he just knows the way these things usually work out, and he's trying to avoid that. But I think that's really all he's trying to do there, and I don't think it's all that successful, but he's doing what he can 
to try and prevent a violent outcome, even though so often that's where these stories head. I really like this scene a lot. And I just love the fact that what we are led to believe a little bit from rumors online that what Kazi could be turning into and the fact that it shows you just just how out of the, out of his league he is with Hawkeye you know the fact that he had every corner stashed up right and and and, and honestly it made sense with and I, I don't remember if this was the right if it was a scene right following this or not, but it's right after, I believe after obviously when, when he real when Kate finds out that he was Ronan and everything. And when she goes to sleep and he lays down, he starts, you know, getting these different things, remembering all these mm-hmm. different things. And, you know, we have the, the end game moment, which by the way, I thought was just I, what I love so much about like this show is that it's so, so like basic. And as far as like the ground level, like heroes and, and mm-hmm. ideas. And then you have like that scene where it cuts to like him on a different planet, like sacrificing right. someone on board. It's, it's like, that's why I love the, the comic books, man. And like these stories, it's, it's so amazing. Like, Oh God, I love that. I love how like he's thinking about, you know, he's, he's, he's using, using frozen food to, to heal his wounds, but he's also remembering the time when he was on a, a different planet, you right. know, fighting. It's just, for, I love for it. the fate um, of all the universe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's so great. I love it. Um, I just love the fact that you know, again, you, you go from that to then all of a sudden he's in the car with Kazi and he's got yep. all his things figured out. It's a great, great thing to see. I think developing and showing that how he's just like, listen, I'm fed up. Like, don't do this. Yep. You don't want to know what's going on. And 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 also, you're, he's humiliating Kazi. I mean, Kazi, obviously, it, it's it's played for you know funnies, but. But I thought I Frothy the, did a good job holding his own in this scene, and I thought he still found a way mm-hmm. to be charismatic and credible as a, yes. a character in this. That yes, there was the recurring joke of "I've got your gun." Yes, I got the knife. I even got the box cutter under the seat. I got it all. There's nothing that you can think of that I haven't already thought of, and I've already prevented your access to it. And even just like the "Come on, man!" Like after he throws I the gun that. when he gets yeah. out of the car was fantastic. But I, I still thought that. Kazi had a, a good moment there when he called out Clint, like, oh, so you're concerned about the organization, really? You're concerned about my rank in the organization? Pointing out that all these things Clint is saying about uh, to demonstrate how much Clint knows and, and act as if he cares about the well-being of Kazi and Maya, that I think there is a part of, of Clint that definitely cares about that. At the mm-hmm. same time, from Kazi's perspective, he can't necessarily buy into that. Why, after everything that we just that we've all been through together and what we just did to you, tying you up and all that, chasing you through the streets, like why am I supposed to think that you're going to care about us? And if we're a criminal organization and you normally take down criminal organizations, even though they don't know that Clint is Ronan, they know he's an Avenger. So if you stop bad guys and my line of work often leads me to be seen as a bad guy, why am I going to believe that you care about me? Um, I'm not going to believe that. So if you're trying to appeal to me in that sense, as Clint Barton kind of is in that conversation, for Kazi to just call BS on that makes sense. And I like that about him as a character. He's still not going to be thinking about things, although maybe he'll catch up in his thinking to Clint Barton. But Clint Barton's still going to be a few steps ahead of him. But I think Kazi did a good job uh, holding his own there. And then we cut back to... Kate with the LARPers being fitted for a new costume, although mm. not like it, it wasn't her Hawkeye costume yet. They were just right. fun whatever else. But. but I really like this idea. They expand the deal like there's a, a deal that's kind of hinted at that if 
if they get the arrows for Clint and Kate, that Clint and Kate would do something for them, and it turns into supplies for more costumes and, and whatever else, and then they expand the deal, Kate's idea, to cover two additional costumes, meaning the LARPers would create costumes for Clint Barton and Kate Bishop, and that would solve the branding issue that Kate's been talking about for a little while now. I think that's really cool. And there have been, as I've called them out on, on this show, whether they're intended to be or not, there have been some moments that have felt kind of meta to me in this series. And this is another example of it. Live action role play is, is definitely its own thing, but it's also at least somewhat related to cosplay. I think exactly. we can call them, I think yeah. we can call them cousins somewhere, like some maybe second cousins, I don't know. Cousins nonetheless. And so having live action role players make Hawkeye costumes in the MCU feels like Marvel, or at least the creators of this show, giving a nod to Marvel fandom, a tip of the cap to Marvel fandom in broad terms, but also more specifically to cosplayers, to the people who spend so much time, who are so dedicated to making their fantastic, recreating these amazing Marvel costumes or doing completely their own spin on these costumes. This is a huge part of Marvel fandom, MCU fandom, fandom for other things as well, but certainly within the realm of Marvel. And this kind of feels like a nod to that, that we're going to create this story where some live action role players who just also happen to play in costumes are going to be making the actual costumes, the hero mm -hmm. costumes for our main superheroes in this series. I love that. I think it's a really nice touch and also in its own way pays homage to the comic books where Clint owned an apartment building and there were the rooftop gatherings, including a guy who was named Grills. Um, so the name of Grills, the LARPer in this series, is an homage to that. That community aspect that was part of the Matt Fraction, David Aha run in Hawkeye that I thought made it very unique and made that series so much fun and really enriched that story. This is the MCU version of that. They don't necessarily have Clint owning an apartment building because they don't really have a way for that to make sense in this specific story. So that's fine. But they found another way to get that community aspect of it with these LARPers and bringing them back into this story or when they were making this story, giving them a place where they would be able to come back and continue to play an active role in this and actually be able to design MCU costumes, design hero mm -hmm. costumes, just takes it to a whole other level as far as embracing the fandom. And I really loved it. Yeah, this to me was I I went from like being really angry about that whole thing when she makes the, you know, writes the draws a little like Hawkeye costumes, like, stupid, uh, and they felt very meta. But I did think like maybe they're le they're heading towards this potentially. And now I think after this, the fact that she's like all about it, like she's she's super gung ho. I like this idea. Right. Um, and I think that it honestly would makes a lot of sense for her to hide her identity, being that she is kind of in a, you know, upper, you know, upper class um, level of like notability as far as, you know, who, who she is and everything. So there's more reason for her. Like she can't really just disappear. That would be like a big, that'd be a big weird thing. Right. So the fact that she would, you know, she would need to hide her identity would make more sense as far as with Clinton or Clinton, oh my God, I called him Clinton. Uh, Clint is more, he's a soldier. He's working for shield. I can kind of get why I still understand why he doesn't have a mask. I feel like there's, that's a total lost thing, but whatever. Um, it, it just would make more sense for her to have to be, you know, hide her who she really was and everything. And maybe we're going to get that, 
that Hawkeye-ish, you know, realistic costume. And the reason why we're going to get it is because she starts being inspired by her own ideas for design and these LARPers. And, and then again, no, no pun, you know, not to be funny here, but like her seeing the, how there's value of having, you know, kind of fun that be costume because mm-hmm. she is a more vibrant personality than Clint. Let's be real here. And I think having the costume would just be the, the icing on the cake, the cherry on top, if you will. And I do think that they're kind of hinting towards that with these different scenes. And I'll be, I'm, I'm going to gear it up for it. I'm hoping we get the mask. If, if, if Kate wears the mask, I'll, I'm all about it. And I want to say she wore the mask in like a, in a, in a special one shot issue of generations. I'll have to, I, I bought it digitally a long time ago. I'm going to pull it up here. I think she, I meant to go go back and, and, and read it to see if she wore the costume. Um, but I forgot, but either way, um, I, I would, I think it makes more sense for Kate to wear it in the MCU. And I hope she does. Cause I think it'd be, it'd give her so much more like, individuality from the, uh, her version of Hawkeye than, than Jeremy Renner's, uh, Clint Barton's character. Right. And I think she could wear the mask, though, even without necessarily worrying about concealing her identity. She has, by the way, been spotted sure. flying all over New York or not flying, but being driven all around New York, firing trick arrows. So that's fair. I I think it might be a little late, maybe not, but a little late to try and conceal her identity. And if the MCU is blowing up Spider-Man's identity, then I don't know that they're keeping any secret identities at this point. Who knows? Maybe. But I don't think the mask has to be about that. I don't think the mask has to be about concealing the identity because I don't think for Kate, that wasn't necessarily her point when she made her little sketch of the Hawkeye costume and the mask because it's cool. And she thought about it more for the branding that it actually does kind of fit the Hawkeye motif. That's why you want it. It's cool. And that's what the LARPers are all about. Like they're not designing their costumes with subtlety and nuance and keeping things grounded in mind, that's not what they care about. They're just, they care about having fun and being enthusiastic about this thing that they love. And I think that's going to be their perspective as they design these costumes. And I know we've seen other costumes, a costume that, that Clint wears that Kate, we've seen Kate's costume with the purple shirt and everything. So we've seen those looks and that might be the costumes that they have. I mean, they will have those costumes in the show, but I'm also wondering if, this show doesn't end with the LARPers going really all out and having another level of superhero costume for Clint and Kate to wear. I could still see that happening as well. But whatever the end result is, I just right. like this decision that this is where their costumes are going to come from is this very, very, very pure, enthusiastic place uh, that is crafted by these LARPers. So I I, and, I love it so much. Yeah. And and on I don't think she wears it in the in the comic book itself. I just I just pulled it up. Um, but on the cover, she's wearing like a like a female version of the Hawkeye costume, mm. and it looks rad. And yeah, I, uh, I I I think it's gonna happen. I think you're you're right though. I forgot. I keep forgetting about the branding part. She is a little bit more of a mind. She is that what she yeah. does art um art design or not art design but marketing for her her mom's company so it's obvious she would have that mindset to like oh i could we could brand yourself and sell this and you know the whole idea which is really cool i think again it gives more credence to what you're saying about it doesn't even matter if they know our identity which again would make make, maybe the fact that we have more mass characters just you know for that very meta reason of selling it in the series in the the universe for money yeah call it a mask call it a helmet but steve rogers wore one and everybody knew who he was and A lot of people knew who Black Panther was, maybe not necessarily everybody all the time, but people have known. Well, certainly they knew he was Black Panther after uh, Wakandans kind of started their whole outreach program at at the end of that first film. So 
the world has known about these characters, and just because they know the identity doesn't mean there's no value in a mask and or helmet. So, um, and, and we know that Kate is perfectly fine to justify something by saying, why are you wearing that? Because I think it looks cool. And that's the end of the conversation, which is something that live action superhero adaptations could use more of. Why is this here? Because it looks cool. So a, a little bit of that every now and again, I think is okay. You want to justify a lot of decisions, but some things can also just be there to be cool. And emotionally, Amen. they are actually justifying it because they are saying they are going into detail on why it might mean something to the person wearing it, even if it doesn't necessarily mean a lot to everyone else. Or it could mean and be inspiring to other people who see those symbols and, and the value in them. While they are sorting out this whole deal, Clint gets a text from Laura. She has an address where the transmitter is signaling. She's found the Rolex for trivia buffs for MCU. 3715 Godfrey Road is where it's located. So we see uh, across the street on a rooftop, it's Clint and Maya staking out the place. And Clint is teaching another lesson, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, the value of a quick exit over a quick entrance, because these things always go sideways. So it's more important for you to be able to get out fast than necessarily get in fast. And Clint was planning on going in, but Kate beats him to it with a very, very direct approach. And all of Haley Steinfeld's interactions with the old man uh, helping with the groceries were great, especially him getting very tired of her and saying that's enough and uh, getting out of there. Kate goes into an apartment and there are some flashing strobe lights. She doesn't recognize what this is, but it is a silent alarm and a silent alarm for those who are deaf. This is Maya's apartment and... Kate doesn't realize this, and Clint is only about to realize this, but he's recapping the information on the Rolex that we talked about earlier, so I won't go through that again. But Kate does find the watch, and she also finds a list with the names of Clint's family and ages of, uh, of Clint's kids, so a lot of very specific information. And then we hear over the radio, it sounds like Clint is under attack, and you would think that it's Maya, except Kate is under attack in the apartment, and that really is Maya, as played by Alakwa Cox. Kate just think, or Clint just thinks he's fighting Maya, but it's a masked assailant who, because she told us all ahead of time, is Florence Pugh's Yelena Belova. So I'm not going to try and keep up the suspense for the sake of uh, this part of the recap of the podcast. Uh, we see Kate escaping on a zip line to get back across the street to the rooftop, but she gets stuck in the middle. There is no way you will convince me that this is not a direct, overt homage to Home Alone. This is a holiday season show, a holiday show, getting stuck on the zip line. That's just part of it. Uh, Kate makes it across, and uh, so does Maya. And then we have this fatal four-way match on the rooftop because it's not even... It, you can't even call it a tag team. The only two people who are definitely on the same team are Kate and Clint because we even see fights between... We see violent interactions between Yelena and Maya. Yelena even hits her with that widow's bite electric thingy from the wristbands. Um, and then we see Yelena. I mean, it just keeps going on. It's it's very action heavy. I thought it was all cool. Great fight sequence. Mm -hmm. And then we see Yelena throwing Kate off the roof, but making sure it was a less than lethal option because she does actually clip uh, uh, cl Kate. So Yelena did not try to kill Kate Bishop in this episode. Uh, Clint sees Kate hanging there. And then we get, remember that Vormir flashback, Paul? Well, here's the mm. Vormir music cue that actually plays. And this was a great mm. touch to get into Clint's mindset as Kate is hanging there and she's saying, pull me up. And he just cuts the line so she, that she drops into the strings of Christmas lights and safely hits the ground and telling her to just get out of there. She obviously doesn't. And then the fight continues. Kate gets back up there 
and she uses a flashbang arrow to kind of split everybody up. The fight keeps going. Clint unmasks Yelena, confirming what Florence Pugh showed us earlier in the day. Uh, we see that Kate uh, is able to... She actually shoots Maya with an arrow, so Maya takes a shot. Clint recognizes that what, what all this means, a Black Widow assassin has been hired. He says, this has gotten very real very quickly, so I'm doing this alone. Kate pleads that she still wants to be a part of it. Clint says, I'm not going to do it. Go home, Kate. It's over. And the episode is over. So much going on there so fast. So that's why I just wanted to get it all out, and then we could actually talk about what it means. So sure. the the revelation that Maya and, by association, the tracksuit mafia and presumably more people, like the big guy, who probably is Wilson Fisk, that they are really going after Clint Barton and knowing things about him that nobody is supposed to know. Nobody's supposed to know that Clint Barton has a family. And yet here in Maya's apartment is this list of names and the ages of the kids and very, very specific information that's just not supposed to be readily available to anyone. She has it. Where did she get that from? Is that her own research, her own sources? Is that Kingpin feeding her information? Is that coming from somewhere else? Is there some other bigger uh, betrayal that's going on here? It's also the kind of information that somebody like Eleanor Bishop running Bishop Security could come up with and supply Maya with. So continue to keep her on the list of suspects. I don't know, but you can certainly see where from Clint's perspective, this has just escalated because he's tried to keep his family separate from this. He took them out of New York as soon as all of this trouble was going on. He's had his family living off the grid this entire time. He's tried to keep them separate from his superhero world as much as, and his spy and superhero world as much as he possibly could. And all that came crashing down. And to make matters, that's bad enough that somebody he's already feuding with has this information about his family. And now you add into the mix that he's been targeted by, as he puts it, a Black Widow assassin. It's not clear how much he does or doesn't know Yelena specifically, but... I would I would think that he knows her, right? Like he has to know her cuz Natasha would have brought her up by then. I would or or so I would think. Cuz he does make a comment that says who was that? And he says something like you don't want to know or something like that. So I do think he kind of knows who Yelena is even but he's obviously not sure what side she's on cuz she was just attacking him and what he does know for sure is Yelena is a Black Widow level assassin. So all of these things are just getting so much worse for Clint Barton because he was really worried about protecting Kate and making sure she didn't have to pay for the mistakes he made as Ronan. And now it's not just Kate who's at risk. It's not just Clint Barton who's at risk. It's his family. And before they were the only ones in his life that could be considered relatively safe. And that's just completely gone at the end of this episode. Yeah, this was such a rad ending that I was not anticipating. And it was so crazy to me as I'm watching this and I realize I'm like, oh man, we have Echo versus Kate Bishop versus Hawkeye versus a, you know, the, the Black Widow 2. And I'm just like, this is crazy. This is a crazy world we live in. Uh, mm -hmm. so, you know, as, as a long time Marvel reader, I was thinking to myself, this is insane. I can't believe I'm watching yeah. this. Um, that was the part that got wild is when Yelena attacks Maya. Then I'm like, oh, gee, now I can't even follow this because everybody hates everybody. Except, yeah, as yeah. I said, you know, the, yeah. Kate and Clint are still a team, but everything else was, you know, everyone for themselves. Yeah, there was um, it was very intense when I when she walked in 
And, you know, he starts throwing the trick arrows, which I love. I, I just love seeing more bows and arrows. Just for the record, I want I, I, we have I feel like we've gotten a good amount so far, but not it's like it's almost shield throws at this point. I want to see more arrows now, Sean, because I just like seeing them like in action. And after being spoiled in that great uh, car chase scene in the previous episode, I just want more. And it is I, there's a um, the way Haley like shoots her arrows when she like like when she goes to shoot um, Black Widow. And she like closes her eye. I just, this way, it, just, it felt very like, mm-hmm. oh man, like she she has this down, you know, as far as believing that she's just you know a master shot. And it just it was a good angle. I just liked it. I'm like, man, let's, let's fire some more arrows, man. Let's do this. Um, it, it was really really cool. Like like really, I thought interesting fight scene. Um, I don't think Jeremy, oh Jeremy, Clint Barton knows uh that that's black widow and who she is specifically um only because there's he probably already knows there's a ton of black widows and he just you know maybe and i think she definitely talked about or she being uh, natasha told her uh, told him about all the family that he, the fake family she had and that there was you know probably the closest thing she had to a family in normal life was that time in her life and that he might have you know when they, when they eventually have probably a sit down talk which I'm assuming will happen in this series. I'm assuming anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll, you know, they can talk about that, and, and and it'll be, you know, him realizing that how much, you know, she, and how much maybe he'll need to mentor her a little bit too. And that's another thing I'm thinking about is what exactly, you know, why did Val, why does Val want, you know, Hawkeye dead, you know, right. OG Hawkeye? That to me is what I, I'm most intrigued about because she's putting this team of, of Avengers down, you know. I don't necessarily think that's out of the realm of possibility that maybe Jeremy Renner's, you know, Hawkeye could be potentially in not against Val, but maybe working with Val at some point. You know, there's that whole idea of the of. Well, first off, don't call her Val. I I think that uh, she doesn't, you know, remember that's we're not call her Val, but don't call her Val. I I think is what we're supposed to be doing. But but, but yeah, I, I don't even know I, if we know that she we know that she obviously is the one who gave Yelena the target. Right. But there's also the possibility that don't call her Val still got that name from somebody else. Like I don't know that she is she seems like the kind of person who could be a mastermind behind a lot of things, but she also could be somebody who is in some instances uh, a little bit of a, a middle not, I don't want to say middle mm-hmm. manager because I think she's above that, but yeah, I agree. Uh, a facilitator in some yes. aspects. And, and maybe there's somebody else who wanted Clint Barton out and it's more of, I'll do you this favor and help you get rid of Clint Barton if you help me with something else. So I, I think you're totally right in that it, there's definitely that possibility that Clint Barton, especially with his past being what it is as Ronan, could be more of that Dark Avengers Thunderbolts sort of team that she's putting mm-hmm. together or, or seems to be putting together. But I could also see Clint Barton just being collateral damage in, in some other thing, in some sure. greater pursuit that she has right now. I, I, I'm not really sure. Well, and I, I think that what I that's kind of the thing about this, what I think is interesting, is that I almost think she send, she's sending her off um, to kill Clint Barton, knowing that it's not going to happen and mm. they'll figure it out. Like, I feel like that's what she's doing. I feel like she's almost recruiting him into this because 
because maybe now with this threat that the, the fact that people know his family exists, he might have to stay in the game, maybe not on the front lines, but in the background and be that kind of background character um, that not Nick Fury, if you will, but something like that and tied with them and being kind of someone behind the scenes and helping out a little bit, kind of being that mentor figure for not just maybe Kate Bishop, but for other characters, like I even said with this, mm-hmm. the new Black Widow, uh, Black Widow character. I think there's potential there. I'm not saying it's, it's a for sure thing because I almost feel like she's manipulated her to attack him to make them figure stuff out so that she has that connection with him and say, listen, I can help you kind of a thing. I feel like that's what Val, don't call her Val, uh, is trying maybe, maybe potentially set up because I don't think that Jeremy Renner's uh, as an actor is going to be going anywhere anytime soon. But I feel like this is a, a way to segue him into a different role, just like other people in the MCU and in, in different variations. So... I definitely feel that that is a, a very good or maybe even likely possibility um, just because the people she's putting together aren't necessarily like completely evil people like Black Widow, U.S. No. agent made some mistakes, but like there's they're not like outright as evil, you know, so there is some this weird gray area that she's operating in and that which again, she she talks about. Right. Um, but. That I think that maybe that potentially that we could see Hawkeye join in some ways, which he does. We, as we know in the comic books, much like Baron Zemo, also leads the Thunderbolts at one point. So that's also to take in consideration. The only thing that has me wondering about that, not necessarily thinking that's the way it's going to go. It totally could, but if there were a reason why it wouldn't go that direction, I think it would just be looking at the arc that Clint is on right now. Sure. And his character arc is actually more about self-acceptance and also mm-hmm. being more outwardly sincere and, you know, hard on the sleeve, the whole thing, and just people wanting to see that and that being the branding issue that Clint Barton slash Hawkeye has. Kate can talk about it as a branding issue, and that's a funny way of characterizing it, but deep down, it's a character issue. It's an emotional issue for Clint Barton that he can't let himself be that. And so I, I think part of the point of this series is to get him to a point where he actually could be that honest-to-goodness superhero and, and allow himself to think of himself that way, be seen that way. And so it would almost feel like a step back, and it would be a very sad thing. The series could end in a very sad way. That's totally possible. Right. But it would be very sad for Clint to have to go the direction of, sorry, buddy, you don't get to be a superhero. You're going to keep being a weapon. Uh, and this is the new person who's aiming you. Uh, it's now don't call her Val. That would be a little bit of a bummer, a, a downer ending for the series, which given the holiday vibes, I'm I'm a little less inclined to think that this series is going to end on a downer. So I almost feel like it's going to end in a more positive place for Clint Barton than that. Of course, we are we only have two episodes left and things are looking pretty rough right now. So maybe I'm being overly optimistic, but uh, I can see it going either way. Not sure uh, where it's going to go from here, but a- as far as where Yelena gets involved in this, I think it's great to show that she doesn't necessarily have any allegiance, that we know she has accepted this assignment from Don't Call Her Val, but what does she really think about it? How does she really feel about it? She definitely seems to have some anger toward Clint Barton, yet at the same time, she wasn't really trying to, it's not like she's just in some blind rage where she's just trying to take everybody out. She made sure that when, before she's throwing Kate over the roof, that Kate wasn't going to fall to her death. And even the, the method that she used of using the little widow bite or whatever on Maya, 
there was no intention to kill Maya with that. She's only going after Clint Barton, but that's it. And she has a grudge there. And I do think there's going to be a conversation inevitably between Clint and Yelena where they hash these things out. And the more I think about it, I, I just I, I think that Clint has to know who she is. I mean, Natasha and Clint had such an intimate friendship. And if Natasha gets to be one of the few people in the world who gets to know that Clint has a family, then I would think that Clint also gets to know that Natasha had a family and that she was able mm. to rekindle that relationship with that family because the events of Black Widow are right after or very soon after Civil War. And so I, I'm just imagining in my head, even though we didn't see it, that Natasha and Clint had some conversations while he was on house arrest, post-Civil War and then pre-Infinity War, during part of Infinity War. I have to think those conversations happened. I have to think that Clint knows that Natasha has a sister in Yelena and is probably able to recognize her. Maybe Natasha showed a picture or something. I do think Clint probably knows who she is, but just because he knows who Yelena is and what she was to Natasha... And maybe he doesn't know. I, I, I don't know, but I, I kind of think he did. But that doesn't solve everything. She is right. attacking him right now. And he would know that if Yelena is attacking me, there's a good chance it's about Natasha. And Yelena can't possibly understand what really happened with Natasha. And even Clint may still feel some degree of responsibility, like in Avengers Endgame when he says it was supposed to be me. That even though he didn't physically kill Natasha, throw her over the cliff on Vormir of him feeling like he shouldn't have been the one to survive that anyway, that he didn't deserve to, that if Yelena comes back at him for that, that even if her understanding of it isn't technically correct, the end result is Clint doesn't really mind the idea of being held responsible for Natasha's death, regardless of whether or not he really is, because there's a part of him who probably feels like it might be debatable whether or not I'm responsible for Natasha's death, but I'm responsible for a lot of others, and so... If there is some punishment coming my way in the form of Elena or anyone else, I probably deserve it. But outside of how Clint may feel about what he deserves, he know he knows his family doesn't deserve to be caught up in this, and now they are. And that just makes things a, a much, much bigger problem for this. And for Clint wondering about the the watch and trying to preserve the identity of Laura or whoever's watch that is and whatever information that's hiding it may already be too late because of that list. For all we know, it's already been clued in. But there are also so many other potential connections here. I mean, we keep talking about Don't Call Her Val, but I go back to Eleanor with Bishop Security. She could be involved in this. She could be the one working with Don't Call Her Val as part of this. There could be a lot of different ways that these different pieces that are hovering around this story or actively in it already could be connected. And that's still not totally factoring in how... Kingpin will presumably fit into this if that character appears, which might be as soon as this very next episode with episode five. But it's a lot, and it's been a lot in this series so far, and we only have two episodes left, so it still feels like there's so much more to come, so much more to be revealed and, and yeah. understood as we get through this, and I am here for all of it. We were talking a little bit before we started recording, and there might be some there might be some moments that are uh, bigger high points in some of the other series for WandaVision or Loki, although there are some scenes in this series that I would put up against any of the ones we've seen in, in other Marvel Studios series this year. You mentioned the one, the conversation between 
Kate and Clint were ultimately he with her help gets to give his Ronin confession. And then also the conversation last week where it was Kate transcribing for Clint uh, as Nate was on the other end of the phone and Clint couldn't hear it. Those scene, that scene last week and the scene, uh, the, the backstory for Maya Lopez, there's been some amazing stuff in this series so far that is among uh, just among the best stuff we've had all year in the MCU via Disney plus or on the big screen that I have absolutely loved. And I'm not, I'm not yet at a point where I'm talking about what's the best series of the year or anything like that. But as we're experiencing this episode to episode, week to week, and just scene by scene, everything in this series feels at worst solid and most scenes much, much better to much, much better than that. Good varying degrees of good to great. This series is so consistent, week in, week out, scene in, scene out. It is unreal how the level of quality just continues to be maintained across each and every episode, every minute of every episode. It's been yeah. really, really impressive so far. There, I, I could not be happier with this series thus far. And it is, I was already excited about the series because I, I like Jeremy Renner's Hawkeye and felt like if he ever had the opportunity to really show what he could do in the series, it would pay off. That's been true. Felt like Haley Steinfeld was going to be great as Kate Bishop. That's been true. But it's not just about how good they are as performers and their performances have been outstanding in this, yes. but they are working with the best material and the best artists and the directors that have come into these episodes Everybody has been at the top of their game for every single frame that they've given us in this series. I, I, I couldn't love it anymore. Yeah, I I was going into this, you know, thinking I'd enjoy it. But, for you know, I love the themes that they're bringing into the show. I love the ideas that they're, all the ramifications from the previous movies are really making the series, you know, function as a whole. And I, and I thought it was going to be more of a, you know, introducing Kate Bishop and using that as like the gateway and, and using Jeremy, you know, Renner's Clint Barton to basically, you know, man, you know, hoist up, you know, Kate Bishop and kind of pass the baton, which would be fine and fun. That, and I think that's the easiest and, and, the, and honestly, the laziest way you could do it. But that's, you know, the show was meant to do that, but they're doing it in the most interesting, emotional and funny way in all of those things, which I was not anticipating. I was not anticipating seeing, you know, Clint Barton's character go through this emotional journey of trying to, you know, you know, re regroup his life from what he was before, you know, after the blip and, and before the blip, you know, return of everybody. I, it was fascinating to see that it was, it's interesting to see, you know, the, you know, this character that I love from the comic books and how it's a much different character, but I, I'm, I love this character even more. I think Kate Bishop's character is much more interesting in this way of being more vulnerable and things like that. So the series has gone way above than I think is as far as what I was expecting on a consistency level. And I, I have just enjoyed everything so much that it, it bums me out. We only have two episodes, but I just, I do like the idea of how, you know, after watching two movies in the theater that I think that I, I enjoyed, obviously I love Shang-Chi, uh, Shang-Chi, excuse me. And I really, and I like the Eternals didn't love it as much as other things maybe, but I still enjoyed it. And I love the, the mediums of film and, but having, I love this, the ideas of having these films and these TV series and they, and they all kind of interact, you know, interact with each other. The true, it's all connected, Sean. It's right. just, it's been great to see that. And again, 
I talk about that scene where, you know, Clint's, you know, bandaged up with vegetable, you know, frozen vegetables and thinking about his time on a different planet. There's just something so cool about that and that, again, they're able to tell these kinds of stories on, you know, for the streaming services and how the more impactful, really giant, crazy, eternal stuff that happens on screen is a film. And I, I think it's great. I, I love we're getting these different things and it just adds the diversity of what the kind of storytelling that Marvel, uh, studio, Marvel Studios can do. And I love it. I was not anticipating to love the series as much as I have. And I, I do. I, I adore what we watch. I've enjoyed it from so many different levels. And I was, again, not that, that I was expecting to love it as much as I am. And I'm just so surprised by it. And just kind of shows you that if you go in with just kind of, you know, you know, solid expectations, maybe things will blow you away when you're not expecting them. And it's definitely one of those things that I was not anticipating to love it as much as I am. I'm glad I have it. And I think it's, uh, it just shows you how good the, the, these series can really be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I expected to have a lot of fun with this series as I usually do in the MCU. And, the holiday setting for it was certainly going to be an enjoyable experience. I mean, it was well-timed, of course. And that, I mean, they did it on purpose, but they knew what they were doing with having a holiday story and, and having this series premiere when, when it did. All of that was enough for me to just have fun with Hawkeye as uh, this great, fun little series that we get at the end of the year. And it totally is that, but it is also so much more because emotionally... I am connecting with this series even more than I thought that I would. And it's not that I doubted that it would be possible in this series because I know it just generally happens for me in the MCU. But the level on which I have uh, connected with the story and been moved by these characters and, and these various moments, even these seemingly smaller moments in the series, that's where it's really hit home and been uh, such a huge part of what makes the the experience of watching this show so satisfying through these first four episodes, through each one of these first four episodes. And I don't expect that to change for the last two. And now uh, this is it. We finished this show. So now we get to look forward to that next weekend. Episode five of Hawkeye, spoiler review. Well, before that, middle of the week, get to see it. Um, I'll have to be very careful Mm -hmm. who I'm following on social media to hopefully not have that spoiled. Um, But then also Spider-Man No Way Home, and I may have to really try to dodge spoilers like their boomerang arrows coming back. I may have to really try to do that. Uh, We'll see what happens. But for those of you still listening, and you didn't just skip out because I said we were wrapping up the episode, for those who really like listening to every second of the podcast, thank you. Um, And also uh, just want to say have fun this week that uh, these... It's always special getting new stories of the MCU, and we get a lot more of those weeks now because of Disney+. Plus. But when we have something like this, where we have a, a highly anticipated episode of Hawkeye, but just a ridiculous amount of anticipation with Spider-Man No Way Home, be careful. Don't be too attached to your own speculation, your own fan fiction, yeah. as I say. Be willing to let that, out, uh, let that all go and experience the story for what it is, not what you thought it was going to be when you sit down and watch Spider-Man No Way Home. But really, just enjoy this week because it is special, and we look forward to talking about our own experiences and our own impressions of Hawkeye Episode 5 and Spider-Man No Way Home next weekend. And then in the meantime, just make sure you're checking out Fan Show Plus, whether that's at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or on Apple Podcasts, search for the MCU Fan Show channel or Fan Show Plus over there. And then follow us in those places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Twitter and Instagram. Paul, where can they find you? 
You can find me on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's, a.k.a. P-Thug. Also follow the Comic Binge YouTube channel. Uh, for, for people who have already subscribed, thank you very much. Just dropped a fun little hype Spider-Man uh, show where I talked about some comic books of where to read before No Way Home and also just kind of talked about you know a little bit of just the Spider-Man films in general. A lot of fun. And uh, also my Star Wars podcast, my, my buddies uh, Tim and Kyle. The, stock, the saga continues, so check us out on there. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.